crossroads of empires, battleground of the ages, city of peace and of war. This is Jerusalem, where archaeology uncovers the empires of yesterday, where prophecy decodes the headlines of today. This is where history and prophecy come alive. This is Watch Jerusalem. Hello, welcome back to Watch Jerusalem. I'm your host, Brent Nachtigall. I'm here in Jerusalem, Israel today. Today, I actually have on the line uh, Mr. Christopher Reams, our archaeological writer from our campus, Herbert W. Armstrong College in the United Kingdom, just north of Stratford-upon-Avon. Thank you very much for joining us, Chris. Hello, Brent. And can I just say it's brilliant, this new video setup to watch, but but being on the recording end of it is a little more disconcerting. So we'll see how this goes. <laughs> That's right. So this is a podcast. So uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, please bear with us. We are not trying to produce anything flashy. We're just adding another medium uh, for you to listen to the Watch Jerusalem podcast. Again, a program where we talk about the latest in biblical archaeology from uh, the the nation of Israel and, and other nations around in the region, of course, and where we also talk about prophetically significant news. I have Chris on today, though, because we're going to be talking about the top finds of 2020. We're in 2021 now, and so we've put a list together. There were surprisingly quite a few uh, discoveries from this past year, which uh, is surprising because a lot of the excavations didn't actually happen. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I like I like the way uh, one of the Haaretz writers actually put it. I think it was Ruth Schuster. She said, uh, amidst all the things that went wrong in this year, it was as if 2020 smiled upon the archaeological world, because actually there were quite a few interesting finds that were discovered this year, as we'll go through. Yeah. So Chris is going to come and talk about a few of these discoveries. You would have known if you follow our website uh, that Chris writes probably the majority of the archaeological uh, articles. Um, he is an archaeologist, uh, although he lives in the UK right now. Archaeology does happen in the UK, but one prominent Israeli archaeologist uh, described her experience at, in archaeology in the UK as scraping mud. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> That wasn't Dr. Mazar, was it? <laughs> Perhaps it was. Uh, but she did that when she was young, and, and uh, I think she was 16 or something like that, when she was having a few days on a dig, and she had grown up excavating in Jerusalem, where you don't have, uh, where it's mainly boulders uh, and stone that you're excavating or excavating around. Uh, there is important archaeology that takes place in the UK, but we're not going to talk about that. We're talking about archaeology from this region, the region of the Bible. And so Chris is going to be discussing uh, some of those discoveries, as will I. We'll go through a top seven. We're not going to have a top ten for you, but a top seven. And uh, I'll, I'll, he'll take one, then I'll take one, and we'll go through all the way to our number one discovery from the past year. Before I get to that, though, I did want to just update everybody on the uh, just the dramatic decrease in tourism that took place in Israel over the past year. The Israeli Ministry of Tourism came out with their statistics uh, just at the end of this year, December 31st, they released this. And this is what they said, uh, quote, the year 2020, which began with optimism for another record-breaking 
year for the incoming tourists' arrivals in Israel, and a continuation of the momentum of record, record highs in recent years ended with the skies closed and a ban on incoming tourists for the first time in Israel. This year, about, about 850,000 tourists entered Israel, and that was a decrease of 81% compared to last year, uh, to, the, to 2019. So about 5 million people came in as tourists, into Israel with a population of almost 9 million or around 9 million, which is remarkable uh, uh, for a year. And this past year, 2020, that was down to less than 1 million. The tourism industry, it continues, which enjoys revenues of tens of billions of shekels, was hardest hit by the corona crisis. Nearly 200,000 families employed in tourism lost their livelihood and some even lost their life's work. And so... Here's to 2021 being a year in which the tourists are able to come back to the state of Israel to visit a lot of the sites that we'll talk about and uh, in today's program. I, I did witness uh, a couple of weeks ago just a guide that was touring um, other potential guides and as part of their two-year course. And it was just really demoralizing to think about these people that are going through a two-year course and then what are they hoping at the end of it. Obviously, they're hoping that the state of Israel opens back up uh, so the tourists come back and so these people can get their jobs back. Um, But that remains to be seen much longer than anticipated. But we do have archaeological discovery for you today. Uh, Again, top top seven discoveries from 2020 and for the first of these we'll go to mr christopher eames all right i'll take it away uh i think these are in uh ascending order from from the least to what we uh what we believe are watch jerusalem is the the best uh discovery of uh 2020 but beginning with this first one here this this discovery of itself isn't uh, that flashy at all. It's it's an ostracon. It's a small uh, inscri- uh, pottery inscription, a potsherd, uh, with an inscription on it. And of itself, it's a fairly innocuous uh, descri- uh, uh, piece of, of clay, really, clay pottery. Uh, and even the site in which it was found isn't the, the most impressive in Israel. But what was most impressive is the dating of this Artifact. Now, this this artifact, it's an ostracon, and written on it was Lebenayau. So that means belonging to Benaya. So again, a, a fairly innocuous inscription. And it was found in the town of Abel Bet Marka. Uh, I think in Hebrew that's Avel Bet Marka, something like that. Uh, and that town is way up in the north of Israel, far up in the in the north of Israel. And that of itself isn't greatly impressive, but again, the dating of this Hebrew inscription, it's a Hebrew inscription, this potsherd, is what makes this impressive, because it dates to about the 10th to 9th centuries BCE. And the fact that we have a Hebrew inscription so far up north uh, in Israel at this time period uh, was really surprising to the uh, to the excavators, surprising to the scientists who analysed this, because it indicated that ancient Israel's borders were much more uh, expanded than than initially thought. 
Now, uh, Abel Bedmarker, that was believed to be uh, an Israelite town from about the 8th century onwards. Uh, but, but with this inscription, I mean, it, it is an absolute proof. It is just an inscription, a Hebrew inscription, but it indicates that that town was an Israelite town a century, perhaps two centuries at least, earlier than the, than the received wisdom. And this fits really well with the biblical account because the, the Bible attests to Abel Betmarka being an Israelite town, uh, I believe, far earlier, even to the time of, of Joshua, I believe. But, uh, but, it, but it is mentioned specifically with regard to the late 10th, early 9th centuries uh, BCE, specifically with regard to the Israelite king uh, Asa, Asa, uh, I, I'm not sure exactly how that's pronounced, but the Bible talks about him, uh, him controlling that area. It talks about the town during the time of King David. Um, you might remember the story of an individual named Shebna who, who committed, I think, some kind of treasonous act and then fled way up north to try and escape David and, uh, and the repercussions of his actions, fled on up to Abel Betmarka. And David's commander, Joab, Yoav, he, uh, he took the forces up north and he ended up um, being shut out of the town, Abel Betmarka, uh, by, the, by the leader of the town. Uh, but in talking with one of the, the women on the wall of the town, she said uh, that she, she asked Joab, what are you doing? This, is, uh, this city is a mother in Israel. So that comment there just relates how important during that 10th century Abel Batmarker was to Israel. And so now with this new discovery, even though it's a tiny little discovery, tiny little Hebrew inscription, we see that actually the, the general more modern scholarly re reasoning that this, this can't have been a developed Israelite settlement until much later uh, because according to that theory, um, that Judah and Israel were only part of a small group within central Israel, a uh, small group of tribes, that that's not actually correct. Okay, Israel, as it says in the Bible, was a bit more spread out, was, was spread out as far north as Abel Betmarker. So that's our first, our first uh, top find of 2020, the Abel Betmarker inscription. Yeah, so this just just to recap, I think there there's a number of discoveries on our list that won't appear in the top ten of other people's lists purely because they do reaffirm the biblical text uh, and go against some of the more recent conventional wisdom among scholars and some archaeologists and historians, especially within the state of Israel. We have artifacts artifacts such as this, an Israelite name coming from an Israelite town from centuries earlier than when scholars say that Israel should have should have been in control of this. But again, we're just this is discovery that confirms the biblical text and the reference for that scripture where David is pursuing or Joab is pursuing uh, uh, the rebella. Uh, that's in Second Samuel twenty. And verse 19 talks about Abel Betmachah being a city, which is the mother in Israel. Thank you for that, Chris. Number six now, we're going to be talking about this massive royal estate from the period of Omri that was found inside the Jezreel Valley. This is a, this is a, a site uh, disc, uh, called Horvat Tevet. 
and this is just outside the city of Afula. This was part of a salvage excavation where I think it's Highway 65 is going through there and a dig was done. <clears throat> and what they discovered was this massive building and and inside it, a lot of vessels from the time of King Omri, some of these vessels that indicate that it was some type of um, industrial complex that, that, that aided in the collection of perhaps... Um, different uh, farm uh, materials or different foods, foods, foodstuffs that were collected in this one location and then diverted elsewhere amongst the Om- Omride kingdom. Omri, of course, was the father of the Omride dynasty ruling in the uh, ninth century and Ahab was his son. They would then rule, they would then move the, the palace, uh, uh, the, the capital of Israel to Samaria. Um, but still this this region around Jezreel and in the Jezreel Valley, of course, it's the breadbasket of ancient Israel as well as Israel of today. And so you would expect to find a massive agricultural complex. And so this pillared building is quite large. It measures 20 meters long by 30 meters wide. And so if you've played basketball, this is actually wider than a basketball court, this one one structure. And inside that, again, they find a lot of these large vessels from the time, storage vessels from the time of Omri. And they believe, the archaeologists there, that this building was used in the distribution of goods. And these vessels have been found elsewhere in different Israelite cities, such as Jezreel, Megiddo, Tel Rehov as well, all very important uh, cities in ancient Israel. And so here we have a massive agricultural uh, building from the time of Omri, 2,800 years ago or so. And it matches up uh, what we'd expect to find uh, from his time based on what the Bible says. All right, thanks for that, Brent. We'll go now to number five on our list. And this is along similar lines, similar large agricultural uh, facility lines, administrative lines and this is probably a discovery that'll make most if not all of the top lists for uh, Israeli archaeology and that is the discovery of the administration center from the time of Hezekiah found at Arnona so archaeologists working at Arnona in Jerusalem I think it's southwest of the old city They've ex- uh, unearthed a, a, a huge administration storage center that was full, literally brimming with LMLK seals, Lamelech seals, and many other exciting dis- discoveries. But that being the chief one, the, one, the 120 plus uh, Lamelech seals and other personal seal uh, stamps from that time period. Uh, that time period, again, dating to King uh, Hezekiah and his son Manasseh's reign, the late 8th to 7th centuries BCE. And so this makes this this 120 seal discovery is one of the largest and most important seal collections in Israel. So to, to explain just a little bit about these seals, these Lamalek seals, there are certain uh, admin, administrative seal Kind of think of uh, the old seal stamps that you put on envelopes, wax seal stamp, that type of thing. Uh, but think about that in terms of a pottery vessel. So before the, the clay is fired, they're, they are stamped with the uh, insignia of a personal individual, or in this case, the Lalech seal, which 
which means belonging to the king, belonging to the king. And then these generally will have an image of a winged scarab or a winged sun and the name of a city underneath. So it, it appears that these seals related to some kind of administrative taxation, uh, tithing purpose, perhaps initially related to he King Hezekiah's preparations for the Assyrian siege. And so a whole ton of these seals were found at this Arnona site, this administration building, and besides them, a lot of personal seals, so uh, seals belonging to individuals with the names of Naham, son of Avdi, uh, Meshulam, son of Elnatan, uh, Zafan, son of Abmez, etc. And some of these names we do see in the Bible relating to Hezekiah's time period. We can't be sure if they're the exact same person, but, it, but it's interesting to speculate. So these were found within this big uh, administrative center, some kind of administrative center built of huge ashlar stones in, in sort of a circular formation. And it's believed that this center was set up in, in, in just a big agricultural area, uh, vineyards, wineries, uh, all around this area, and most likely uh, the most likely produce would be sent to the site and redistributed or tech it would be, uh, take taxes or or that that general kind of thing, just a large administrative building. And now further on in, in the history of this building, it, uh, it eventually was covered over by a massive pile of flint stones. There, there are a few archaeological sites in Jerusalem covered by flint stones like this. This is the biggest one. Seems like sometime during the 6th century BCE, it was just covered over by this massive pile of flint stones. And archaeologists are, are still confused as to why that is the case. Maybe it relates to uh, the Babylonian conquest um, of Judah that, that occurred during that time period, but, but archaeologists still are confused about that. So we've got this huge uh, agricultural site, again, huge trove of seals that were found. Besides that, a lot of small, uh, smaller objects, pagan idol objects, including female figurines, etc., uh, etc. Et so if you've heard the name Arnona recently, uh, it might be to do with the U.S. consulate that was moved to uh, Jerusalem and as embassy, we can, get it right. Embassy. embassy. Okay. <laughs> I'm not an American, so I apologize to our American <laughs> and Jewish listeners. Uh, but, but, but this, this modern administrative center is, you could say in the same vein as this, this ancient one, it was just a, a, a significant area of Jerusalem uh, today as it was back then. So that's our discovery number five, the Anona Agricultural Center. All right, so now we're down to number four, and I think we'll cover this one and then have a short break. And this one refers to the different studies. There's been a few studies or a, a couple that I'd like to cover into ancient writing and the prevalency of, of 
ancient writing in ancient Israel and, and who, who spoke and who could read, obviously everyone spoke, who could read and who could write. And so there's, there were two studies that came out, one related to uh, artifacts. Both of these are Ostraka, which again is just writing on pieces of pottery. And one of those related to the administration of Jeroboam II. Jeroboam II ruled, as we've covered in, on this program in the last uh, couple of weeks, uh, he ruled from around 790 through to about 750, 41 years. The Bible puts it, and he ruled through a period of great uh, prosperity in the northern kingdom of Israel. His capital, of course, was Samaria. And at Samaria, they have excavated over the past 100 years uh, a lot of these um, ostraca, which, which detail different uh, imports of, it looks to be wine, um, into the capital. And through various algorithms applied, mathematicians out there can figure out these algorithms. They can determine how many authors were used in the writing of the Ostraka, uh, or just the writing of on, on these potsherds. And from that, those algorithms, they've revealed that these Sumerian Ostraka, uh, they were written by two individuals, which is really interesting. Uh, some people applied this to say that there was limited literacy in ancient Israel. However, when we wrote about this, and we'll leave a link for all these stories in our show notes today, uh, when we wrote about this, we showed that it doesn't really, this discovery or this this algorithm can't really tell uh, how widespread literacy was, just based on the fact that it was a very specific uh very it was very specific de- very specific details were written down related to imports into the into the capital or exports from the capital we're not sure and only two individuals over the space of a couple of decades are writing these official records of the government which i think is really interesting because it might not tell us how widespread literacy is but it will tell us that there is no royal administration working uh, documenting what comes in and what comes out out of the royal estate. So that was the the first. They were from 2,800 years ago, these Ostraka. They weren't found then, uh, they, this year. They were found previously, but the study came out this year. The second group of uh, Ostraka that were analyzed through use of these algorithms plus forensic experts uh, took place from an excavation or, or a strike from an excavation in Tel Arad in the south of Israel. This is from 200 years after Jeroboam's time, around 600 BCE. This is a fortress, the fortress of Arad, and they had numerous different Ostraka there. And of the 19 bits of writing that were analyzed on these pottery, these pieces of pottery, they could determine that they were 12, 12 different authors. It wasn't a case of one scribe at the royal uh, r- royal fortress in Arad, or at least fortress in Arad, writing all the details down. No, these were really insignificant details and communications between low-level officials and low-level uh, uh, people in the army, anciently, and all of them could read and write, it seems. And so what's really interesting about how they discovered this is they actually took a forensic expert. uh, Her name was Yana Gerber. She was a former forensic expert with the Israeli police. And they looked at the algorithms decision or how many how many authors the algorithm determined uh, composed these texts. And then they, they gave it to her and she 
looked at them. She had to learn ancient Hebrew for this, which I think is pretty cool, uh, and then apply her knowledge of handwriting techniques that she used in the field today to determine authors and apply it to documents 2,600 years ago. And there was no mistake. There was no difference uh, in terms of her believing one of them was one author and at least the algorithm coming up with something different. She was actually more precise than the algorithm to be that which is to be expected. This is what she said. This is what she told Haaret. She said it was it was it was a professionally and emotionally exciting experience. It felt that time stood still and there was no two two thousand six hundred year gap between the writers of the Astraka and us. And so she was excited to be a part of this project. Congratulations to her. You've just proven that literacy at the most mundane place, Talarad, in the middle of nowhere, in Israel South, 2,600 years ago, we've got writing there, and it's from a bunch of different authors. People could write. <laughs> People could read and write anciently. Blockbuster story here, 2020. It's su not surprising, of course, but finally we have a little bit of proof uh, for us. For us. Okay, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll be down to number three, two, and one of our top finds in biblical archaeology from 2020. This is Watch Jerusalem on kpcg.fm. Thank you for listening. Hello, welcome back to Watch Jerusalem. We are talking about the top finds in biblical archaeology. We are down to our number three, two, and one, bronze, silver, and gold for years 2020. And to award the bronze prize, we have uh, Christopher Eames. All right, for our number three on our list, we've got the Amon Hanatsev discovery. This was, uh, I think, a discovery made toward the, the end of the summer, and again, this was related to the time period of King Hezekiah, uh, and it, it, it relates to the discovery at Anona as well. It's quite interesting that we've got these Jerusalemite Hezekiah period discoveries that were made. Now, uh, uh, Amon Hanatsev is a promenade location located directly south of the city of David, uh, first temple period. Uh, excavation that happened there, and they discovered a, a a trove of really ornate, beautifully carved architectural elements from a royal building uh, dating to that time period that was built at that time period. Uh, now, if you're familiar with a lot of the history there, the biblical history, uh, toward the end of the 8th century BCE, we have the Assyrian siege that happened, and then the Bible relates that after that siege happened, there was a huge uh, rebirth in, in Judah. There was a, there was a lot of regrowth, um, plenteous agriculture, uh, uh, rebuilding that happened throughout Judah. Uh, and, and what these archaeologists have found dates to this period, to the end of the... the uh, to the end of the eighth century, the uh, the period of King Hezekiah, and it's this beautiful, uh, ornate promenade building, 
Um, and, and if you're familiar with the modern location of this building, uh, you'll know that there's a modern promenade type building that was built by the British uh, mandatory uh, government of Israel at the time period. So, so this, was, this was a real lookout area, uh, an area that would look out over the southern uh, portion of central Jerusalem. And, and what these archaeologists discovered were proto-Aeolic capitals. And we, we wrote about those earlier on in the year. We, we, we were writing about one that was found in the city of David at the time. I think we called it the most ornate or best preserved proto aeolic capital that has ever been discovered. It seems we spoke too soon with that because at this site were two, at least two really beautiful, uh, e even more beautiful proto, proto aeolic capitals among other architectural elements, really well preserved. Now, these capitals are what would have stood on top of a, a pillar. These are the ornate uh, caps, you could call them, to pillars that, that help distribute the weight of the building at, at, the top of the, at the top of the pillar. And they're sort of in a palm-type motif, uh, a spiral-type motif. And so uh, a, a, a handful of large ones were found. And also... For the very first time, small ones were discovered, small window balustrade uh, uh, columns and, and these motifs. And uh, we've known about these, this style window, this style window frame balustrade architecture, but not from the, 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 the real thing itself. We, we, we know of this kind of architecture from ancient depictions, from ancient drawings, from ancient carvings. But for the first time ever, we found this style of architecture. And, and these uh, archaeologists found, found uh, the, these uh, architectural elements at Amon Hanatsiv. And what was really interesting is the way in which two of these really beautiful uh, protoaeolic capitals were discovered. Uh, the, the archaeologists, if you see the video, I think it's posted within the article that we wrote on this. Uh, if, if you look at that, that video, it shows them unearthing excitedly one of these proto-aeolic capitals, and they take it out, and directly beneath is another one. So these two capitals had evidently been laid deliberately on their sides in the earth and then covered over with earth. So... That provided a little mystery for the archaeologists. They're still uh, wondering why that was the case. It seems like maybe the owner of this royal estate building, this pro ancient promenade building, perhaps dismantled it, dismantled some of the more important uh, archa architectural features just before the Babylonian destruction in order to preserve them. We don't know. Perhaps it was preserved for that Jewish return that happened after the fact. Uh, but, but, but a really interesting find made at Amon Hanatsiv to go along with the Anona uh, excavations that, that, that really paint a, a picture of the grandeur of Judah following the Assyrian siege, as the Bible talks about, the, the new heights that Judah reached under Hezekiah during the later part of his reign. Okay, thanks for that, Chris. We're going to go to number two now, Silver Prize. And this is the Davidic Era Fortress that was discovered up on the Golan Heights. And this, this discovery is important, and we give more prominence to this, because it is from King David's era, a period in which has been 
greatly uh, maligned as being historically accurate by archaeologists and historians in Israel for the past 20 or 30 years. And so whenever there is a discovery in Jerusalem or elsewhere that shows that David's kingdom was as the Bible says it, it, it was, then we want to highlight that. And here we have on the Golan Heights a fortress that was not uh, belonging to the kingdom of David. It actually belonged to the Geshurite peoples. These were a people that were in league with David for a time. Uh, David actually married uh, the, one of the princesses of the kingdom of Geshur, and they, the Geshurites lived in this area from the, the basically the mouth of the Jordan River as it goes into the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Tel Etel is uh, one of the locations for Bethsaida, and that is the, the capital of the Geshurite kingdom. And then you have a short ways, I think it's about 15 miles, something like that. On top of the Golan Heights, we, they discovered this year uh, a fortress from King David's time. And there were several, well, one uh, element from both sites, uh, from Tel Etel, which is Bethsaida, which is a known site of the Gesher, Gesherites, that links that site with this one. You'll remember we have a picture of this in the podcast, and also this article is on Watch Jerusalem, has a picture of this same type of god that was found engraved on a stone in both locations, showing us that it was probably the same people that lived in both areas. And so as we brought out at the time, and as we bring out in this article, this is an important discovery because it shows that when the Bible says David went and had a raiding party up into this kingdom of Gesher, this was during the time when he was on the run from King Saul, and he came back and he had a wife, uh, if history is, if the Bible is to be accurate, there should be a kingdom of Gesher. And if, if, the, if this is just a bunch of made-up stories uh, from King David's time, then uh, why is it that we find a kingdom of Gesher in this exact location at the time of King David and a kingdom that is big enough to have a massive fortress? This, this fortress on the Golan Heights isn't necessarily massive in itself, but the capital city in Bethsaida or Tel Etel, that is is a massive fortress holding one of the largest gatehouse complexes from 3,000 years ago. And King David went there and said, give me your wife, uh, give me your daughter to wife. And uh, King Talmay, I believe his name was, uh, actually granted that request. And then that Makkah was, her, was the name of that woman that David married. They would give, she would give birth to Absalom. And then when Absalom rebelled against King David, he actually went and stayed a few years up there at the kingdom of Gesher uh, with his mother's, uh, mother's family. And there's more from the Bible that goes along uh, with this discovery, of course. But here we have on the Golan Heights, a 3,000-year-old building, and it relates again to the, the, the story uh, and the history of our King David. Okay, now let's go to number one. This number one... It will probably feature in other people's top 10, but I doubt it will be their number one discovery. But it is ours for a number of reasons. And to explain this, Chris. All right. Well, this one is a buller. And it is the, uh, you could call it the King Jeroboam buller. And buller, uh, buller, the uh, uh, clay seal stamp, they are really exciting things for archaeologists. They're really exciting things for us, as you'll, you'll be able to tell if you've, if you've spent much time on Watch Jerusalem and read much of our stuff. 
the the last um, major bulla that was found relating to a king was that of, I believe, King Hezekiah about five years ago, the Hezekiah bulla. And so it's always really exciting when a bulla comes out and not just any bulla, but a bulla mentioning a king of Israel or Judah. And that's been the case this year, the discovery of the King Jeroboam bulla, or more accurately, the bulla of one of his servants that mentions this king. Now, the the story behind this bulla is really quite interesting because the bulla was revealed this year. It only just came out actually uh, what a month ago uh, really is is when it was revealed to the to the public. But this bulla, you could say, has been known about to the owner for the past, what is it, 40 years now. It was bought by an individual, uh, by a collector from a Bedouin, um, uh, f- from a, a Bedouin dealer for, uh, I think it was 10 shekels at the time, which, which in this country, I think it's, it's about 5p, uh, 5 pence is how much, how much the value has changed. But just a few cents, really, uh, t- to buy the small seal stamp. And at the time, the Israeli collector, he, he was sure it was a forgery, but sure, I'll throw a little bit of money at it and buy it. He was sure it was a, a forgery, a fraud, bought on the antiquities market, but he bought it anyway and tucked it away in his collection and didn't really do anything with it. And now, about 10 years ago, someone uh, visiting him uh, became aware of it and tried to persuade him to try and get it authenticated. Now, uh, as, as you, you might have heard us talk quite a lot about on these programs and in our articles, the real value of finding an artifact on a scientific excavation, because you can document it, you can prove that it is a legitimate artifact. Whereas with the antiquities market, it, it's a little bit more difficult. You, the, the provenance is unknown. We don't know where it's come from. It could be a forgery, although with bullae, they, they, they are very hard to to forge properly, to do a good, accurate, proper forgery. So most likely, it's it, it's a genuine object, but, but there's always that niggling doubt. Well, as, as for this buller, someone uh, approached him and asked that the, that, that it be, uh, put through the paces, tested uh, to, to see if it could be validated. Now that the collector, he, he, he was sure that it would just be revealed to be a forgery, that, okay, you're probably wasting your time, but sure, you can go ahead and do this. And if it proves to be a legitimate item, sure, I'll give it to the Israel Antiquities Authority, but it's not going to be. It's just, it's just going to be a forgery. Anyhow, these tests are done, I believe, by uh, the Ben Gurion University professor Yuval Gorin. He uh, conducted these, began conducting these tests on this bulla in secrecy five years ago. Now, with a lot of these artifacts, a lot of the the prep work, a lot of the the initial study is done in secrecy. They want to make sure everything is documented and properly established before it gets out like like wildfire uh, to the press. Uh, so, so these studies on this buller were being done in secrecy. Uh, um, tests for the the, the clay to, to examine the mineral makeup, 
Uh, you've got a patina, which will develop over thousands of years. So there are ways to to tell if this is indeed an authentic object. And, and, and it is hard. You need the right tools to do this, but it is possible. And so what we learned uh, just early December, what we learned only a month ago, is that this bulla was proved to be authentic. Uh, and so it was really quite a dramatic announcement. I think uh, Amanda Borshaldan from the Times of Israel, she did a great job uh, uh, breaking the news of this at the time. I think it was December 10th, her article came out uh, about this new discovery of new, quote unquote, of this Jeroboam bulla. Now, the, the, to, to describe the bulla itself, it has an inscription reading Leshima, Eved Yerovam, so belonging to Shema, servant of Jeroboam. So technically it's Shema's bulla, but it mentions King Jeroboam, King Jeroboam II, specifically the uh, the king from the early 8th century uh, BCE, the king of Israel. And depicted in the center of this bulla is a roaring lion, a, a, a roaring lion, uh, a, a motif that we find throughout the book of Amos, the same book uh, that, that at the time was directed to that northern kingdom of Israel. It mentions the word lion several times. So just from reading that book alone, you get the sense that the lion was a significant symbol uh, in Israel during that time period. And now we see from the spula that indeed it was. Now, this isn't the first uh, artifact related to King Jeroboam that has been discovered. Another seal, or a, a seal stamp itself, not the bulla, but a seal stamp itself, was found in 1904 in excavations in Tel Megiddo. And that, uh, that, that was a seal stamp that, that also matched the same uh, form as this current bulla. Uh, it was, again, belonging to Shema, servant of Jeroboam. But that seal went missing on its way to Turkey somewhere uh, along the journey about 100 years ago, that seal went missing, but not before the scientists were able to take a, an impression of the seal. So up until now, all we've known about is this impression from a lost seal 100 years ago relating to King Jeroboam II. And now, suddenly, a month ago, we have this new exciting release that here is a proper real artifact bearing the name of Shema, sure, but more significantly of King Jeroboam II. And so this is uh, really important for us. We've been talking about Jeroboam a lot. The Watch Jerusalem editor-in-chief, Mr. Gerald Flurry, has been talking about Jeroboam a lot over the past four years, specifically because he's labeled the president of the United States, Donald Trump, as a type of the ancient King Jeroboam. And so it's this. It's really interesting because Jeroboam is not really a. If you talk about famous kings in Israel, um, you probably don't know much about Jeroboam the second. The Book of Chronicles gives him one token mention. I think there's six verses, six or eight verses, uh, in the Book of Kings that talk about Jeroboam. And so he doesn't really feature much into the history of the chronological account of the kings, and yet he ruled for forty years the longest-serving king over the northern tribes of, tribes of Israel. He ruled over the greatest resurgence that, that northern, those northern tribes ever had, um, and he was the subject 
of Amos's specific prophecy, um, the kingdom underneath his rule. And so this resurgence that came by God's mercy, as it's brought out in the book of Second Kings chapter 14, um, to give the northern tribes of Israel one last chance to repent and turn back to God. They wouldn't do that. However, God was giving them this tremendous period of prosperity <clears throat> and peace during the reign of Jeroboam, a stabilizing reign, a reign of uh, really, it could have been seen as a reign of encouragement uh, that God was giving them. However, it was not used to, to the intent that God gave it to them. But what we're seeing right now, and as Mr. Flurry has brought attention to Jeroboam, we are seeing discoveries, artifacts come out of the ground, or in this case, hang around for 40 years and nobody cares about it, till one day, uh, just in this period of trend, this period of deliberation before President Trump gets his second term in office, as Mr. Flurry said, he will get, based on this prophecy of Jeroboam anciently, here's this bulla. Here's this bulla coming back to life, roaring back to life. Uh, as our editor-in-chief says in this in the new edition that's going to come out soon of the Watch Jerusalem magazine. So a really awesome discovery in archaeology showing that God's hand is in the archaeological discoveries of today, and he is using archaeology as a tool to get our attention, to get our attention to what is really happening and to show us that the Bible is a book for now, we live in biblical times. We don't tend to think about that. Uh, but those prophecies of those books are for today. And the archaeology from, the, from the, the discoveries that are coming from the ground are helping draw our attention to, uh, to those. Chris, do you have anything final here to say about these top finds? Uh, well, not necessarily about the top finds. Again, though, amazing stuff about the Jeroboam seal, the, the fact that it came out right at the time period that it did. And again, our uh, editor-in-chief has just been writing so much about Jeroboam lately, and it's very rare that any buller relating to any king comes out ever. So the fact that this comes out all of a sudden, right on the heels of a really significant uh, article that he's that he's written, that we've been advertising uh, in Israel and and elsewhere around the world, uh, and you can you can find that on our website. Uh, why Donald Trump will remain America's president? Uh, it's just really fascinating, fascinating stuff. So no, I don't have anything more to say as to the finds themselves, but I will say. Uh, I was just counting the articles that we've posted just this past year on the archaeology side of the website. I think there's between 80 and 90 articles that went up over this past year. So there's a lot of content constantly going up on that side of the website. Uh, also, as, as you'll know, we've got the news side of the website. We've even got the history side of the website. But, but do keep up to date with Watch Jerusalem. There's a lot of content that goes up on there. And uh, a lot of interesting stuff, uh, various subjects uh, from from all from all parts of the world, really, and and parts of the biblical timeline. I think today we've just posted the new article on Gubekli Tepe, a really interesting site uh, in Turkey, and how it relates to the Book of Genesis. So there's a lot of stuff going up. So do keep going to watch Jerusalem and and checking out the the stuff that we that we yeah. post for you. 
And so there's ways that you can do this. Of course, we have a Watch Jerusalem email that comes out daily. Whenever we have some new content, we send you an email. Uh, if you haven't got that, you could send a request uh, to get put on that mailing list by writing an email to letters at watchjerusalem.co.il or go to the website, watchjerusalem.co.il, and you will see there plenty of spaces uh, on the front page of places where you can put your email address, and we'll send you that email until you don't want it anymore, and then we will take your name off the list if you so desire. We also have a free magazine. It's entitled Watch Jerusalem as well. Uh, the Tomb of the Kings is the subject. This is the Tomb of the Kings of, of David and Solomon, the royal house of Judah, and their future discovery, and where we think they are uh, right now, with where we think they will be discovered. And we go into this, uh, Mr. Flurry has an article about this, and so does his son, Mr. Stephen Flurry, about the location of the tombs of the kings and what the Bible says about how they will be discovered very soon. You can get a free copy of this magazine. If you've missed it and you want a copy of the Tomb of the Kings uh, edition, uh, we do have some extra copies. You can write for that if you've missed it. And then, of course, you can sign up for your free subscription of the Watch Jerusalem magazine. It comes out six times a year. Wherever you are in the world, we will send it to you pro bono. And all you have to do is enjoy it. All right. Thanks very much, Chris, for coming on today's program. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you, Brent. And for all of you listening, thank you for spending time with us today. Again, if you have any feedback you'd like to send the program or any tips and ideas of of information you want covered on the Watch Jerusalem podcast, you can write your emails to letters at watchjerusalem.co.il. Have a good week.